0: Uh, welcome to episode two of the Shira podcast. Da Island Discs. We're joined today with uh, Ruth Mandel. Hello, Ruth. Hello, Liz. Finally. <laughs> finally, finally, we got to see each other. Yes. Oh gosh. Do you want it right before we start, Ruth? Um, tell us about yourself. Give us, give us your intro, please.
1: Well, um, my name is Ruth Raimundo Mandel, and, and I work with the Safe and Together Institute. Uh, my partner, David Mandel, is the is the the creator and the founder and the executive director of the institute. Um, and he made a brilliant model for engaging with families, particularly uh, for child well-being and safety when there's domestic violence in the home. Um and that, that model really focuses on assisting practitioners across all sectors, anyone who is a professional who is dealing with family and kids, um, to be able to be more domestic violence informed, and to be able to gather perpetrators' patterns of behaviors and link that back to child safety, child well-being, to child development and hold that parent who's choosing those behaviors accountable behaviorally for the harm uh, that's done to the adult and child survivor. But the, the Safe and Together Institute is also a systems change organization where we recognize that in the field, a lot of the issues that have arisen in domestic violence practice is because practices are very siloed mm. because they're very focused on incident based factors because they don't actually link domestic violence to child well-being and child safety they ignore children even though we know that you know 80% of the children who die that are known to child protection are known to have domestic violence in their home so we know that this is a, a real, a real uh, danger, uh, and it's a long-term danger. I'm also a survivor um, of child abuse, child sexual abuse, and coercive control, um, and um, I came to the institute um, because I used to do training and implementation and uh, worked with medical practitioners. Um, And in my work with medical practitioners, trying to help them to embed holistic assessments and therapies into their very reductionistic and mandated (laughs) environments, um, I really realized how much assistance those practitioners needed because they were working in an adversarial reality where their time was really focused by the system itself even if they believed that that was not helping their patients, they had to be able to find the time and the resources and have the tools to be able to do more holistic assessments of people, which is similar to what we're experiencing in the domestic violence field, that that really reductionistic focus on on risk factors and, and symptoms, the exclusion of kids, is really leading to a very narrow understanding of the problem and it's not getting at the root causes and it's not offering a range of solutions to families. Um, And the solutions that we offer now um, are similar to kind of like if every doctor that you encountered uh, treated every cancer with chemotherapy regardless, there would be a lot of poor outcomes. Well, that's a lot of what's happening in the domestic violence field in the judicial system and 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 even in places like mental health, uh, mm-hmm. addiction, child and family services, law enforcement, and and so really, um, was attracted to what David had created because I'm a, I'm an ecosystemic thinker, I'm a holistic thinker, and really saw the value of it and and the and the change, the very basic change in the behaviors and attitudes of practitioners and the system when they started to engage with the safe and together model. And I really wished that it had been available to me, um, when I was, when I was really struggling to find my own safety and my own freedom for myself and, you know, for my children. So I kind of came to that through, um, that door. So, um yeah I don't know if that answers
0: your question um, that's amazing, Ruth. and I mean it's 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 really widely used isn't it in Scotland the safe and together model is well this that-
1: yeah so the safe and together model is actually globally uh used um I would say that we 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 have less of an uptake here in the United States because um, First of all, we have some really decentralized systems. We have a lot of different types of funding and systems and judicial systems here, like the family court and criminal courts can have, you know, a county by county or a state by state reality. So um, when you're in a smaller region like Scotland, um, Scotland started using the Safe and Together Institute. Oh my gosh, I think it was probably. 10 years ago now, Mm -hmm. um, and they've been really leading the way with reforms, um, child-centric reforms Mm -hmm. to really try to keep the person who's choosing the violence, who's the parent in view um, and really pivot to them and their behaviors and choices and patterns. Um, So yeah, Scotland's been using it but we're all over the globe um you know we have a really large presence in australia and increasing presence in new zealand and in japan and in the asia pacific region and singapore um and in north america and canada um but we really want to bring together all of not just the experts in the field not just the people who have and you know speaking from their expert place but also the lived experience experts the people who are impacted by the system
0: the real um, experts the yeah.
1: real experts the people who are experiencing the services right and make sure that we understand how those services are impacting them and their families and if they're really truly having the outcomes and 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 achieving the stated mission that they say that they have
0: yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's very tokenistic at the moment, isn't it, Ruth? Very tokenistic. And um we are really passionate about changing that and, and making these services really uh, user focused. I hate to even yes. say the word user, you know, but um it's it's they should function to serve the people right. they were yeah. supposed to serve. Well that's why I love your you. your
1: work because you, oh, you are doing work looking at how systems are impacting children mm-hmm. and and victims of domestic violence and domestic abuse and course of control and that that intersection of where services um e- either harm or or push for a type of safety plan that maybe actually more dangerous for somebody who's in coercive control or who re-harm and re-traumatize by victim blaming Mm -hmm. um you know and because the services are siloed um we're you know we're kind of sent along these tracks where they say well you have to go do this next this is the next thing even if it doesn't make sense for us and 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 even if the perpetrator is the one who technically should be mandated to Um, You know, so improving our experience of those contiguous services, the ones that we encounter, you know, Mm -hmm. as we're leaving a perpetrator, as we're seeking safety, as we're trying to heal um, ourselves and our children, and really understanding if those services are meeting the needs of families Mm -hmm. is not just cost saving, but it's, it's it's an effective and ethical marker and that that's not being done in the mm-hmm. industry you know individual organizations may be looking mm-hmm. from a domestic violence informed place at their policies and practices and maybe they're doing a little bit better but because there's so many different services that touch on victims and survivors and children that are completely unaware of how to operate when there's an abuser or a course of control involved, a lot of times those services are being used against us. And I mean, so, in
0: my in my, um, in my view, I would love to see the safe and together model rolled out. You know, to all professionals working in and around the family courts. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, I don't know if you know Ruth. You, you probably do, but so we've recently um the government have, have um decommissioned the domestic abuse um perpetrator courses um and replaced them with um essentially what is a conflict re- resolution course no, and, right. and we see this time and again don't we you know this um diluting of well, pivoting away from the perpetrator, which brings me actually, I wanted to ask you, because there, there will be some people listening who yeah. are not familiar. Can you explain to people why it's so important to pivot to the perpetrator?
1: Well, there are there, there are two key, you know, actions the safe and together teaches practitioners to do. And and you know, however, this may have unfolded in the industry. And I think there's a lot of reasons why we started focusing on victim survivors and not on abusers. There's a plethora of reasons, some of which have to do with gender bias, some of which have to do with it's easier to mandate to victims than it is to get perpetrators to comply with the mandate, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Also, some of it is because we haven't been teaching any male development in parental theory we haven't been talking about men as parents
0: mm-hmm.
1: we haven't been equalizing the co-parenting standards that are used to be able to look at how parents are are you know collaboratively behaving to care for their children's safety and well-being we put a lot of that on women and we just really said well an absent an absent male Means there's no domestic violence happening, which is not true, especially with post separation course of control. Um, so you know we've we've made a lot of choices, um, to create structures of care and intervention, that all focus on victims.
0: Yeah,
1: all uh, of them, uh, and that uh, and that in a system that's already gender biased in a in a in a legal structure mm-hmm. where women were property and children were property and here in the United States we won't even sign the UN resolution oh, for the rights of children right we won't do it um in that reality victim focused services keep us in an emergency response mode where we only respond to violence we don't hold it accountable we don't assess it in a pattern based way we don't hold it accountable behaviorally in an ongoing way with expectations around parenting for males who might be abusing their family or even for females who might be abusing their family you don't do it on either side really in reality so so you know there's a lot there's a lot of need for us to really say historically, we've been focusing on victim survivors and what is the impact then to victim survivors and their families. And a lot of time, the impact is a reduction in self-determination, is a uh, financial burden, mm. um, is having to be the primary person who uh, under duress while being abused, while being abused by a perpetrator, has to fulfill all the caretaking of the children while the perpetrator is never expected to do any type of parenting action even if they have custody Mm. from court order even if they've had arrests and patterns of sexual and domestic violence no proof that that person is a responsible safe parent for those children um you know it
0: shows doesn't it you know that um, an abusive partner and I hate to say partner because they're not really a partner are they they they've never made you a partner if they're abusing you they, they I, I've you know been referring to IPV as intimate perpetrator violence because I really don't like the, the term partner but um, if they are an abusive partner they're an abusive parent aren't they
1: you know that the, the, the... <laughs> The research shows that when there's domestic abuse in a household, that children don't have to witness it to be impacted. And and so we really take a lot of time in training professionals to recognize those places where when there's domestic abuse in the home, even if the children didn't see or witness it, that they were impacted. And I'll, I'll give you an example that we use a lot. And that is, is, is if one parent chooses to abuse the other parent, keeps them up till two o'clock in the morning, berating them, screaming, yelling at them, threatening them, uh, locking them out of the house, right? This is a common behavior and course of control. And that person that they're abusing is the parent who's expected to take those children to school the next day. Mm -hmm. And that's happening on the regular. Those children are suffering.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Because and and also that person who's abusing the other parent, that's a parenting choice. Yes. That's a choice that they're making. Yes. To drain the, the the energy, to traumatize, to exhaust, to torture their other their their the other parent. And that has impact on child and family functioning. Okay. So not. Being aware of that, not drawing the link between behaviors that children may not directly see and hear to the impact on the family, whether the impact on the family is that that abuser was really loud and beat their victim, and they were renting, and now they get kicked out of housing. Now the children are homeless because of the choice that that parent made, and that impact needs to be drawn as a direct line back to the person who chose that violence mm-hmm. what's happening now is that women or victims are being blamed for the impact of the perpetrator's behavior Absolutely. so if kids don't get to school if they're having school issues if if they're having mental health problems that's blamed most likely on the person who's the victim not the person who's abusing And we want everybody to pivot to the person who's actually causing the problem and who's causing the danger and who's causing the harm and who's destroying the cohesion, the safety, the stability of that family.
0: Absolutely. And and this is what the Safe and Together mapping tool helps people to do, isn't it? To map all these patterns of behavior. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does. But even even more importantly, I think sometimes is the concept of partnering. So there's the pivoting to the person who's choosing to abuse, but then there's the concepts we teach around partnering with survivors. You know, I think to me, this is the most brilliant innovation of the Safe and Together model, but I'm a survivor So, of course, I think it's brilliant (laughs) because essentially what partnering says to professionals is you must create an atmosphere of collaboration and assume that the person who's being abused is safety planning for their children. You must gather that information. You must gather the perpetrator's pattern of behavior. You must gather the strengths and the protective capacity of the adult survivor and you must map back the pattern of behaviors to harming and impeding that person's ability to parent and harming the well-being and safety and stability of the children in the family and and that if if the courts were doing that if they were actually had the same expectations for both parents and this is where people say they get upset with us because we say listen you know the statistics are is that the most likely statistical perpetrator of domestic abuse is going to be a male Mm -hmm. Uh, women do perpetrate that's real people perpetrate in same-sex relationships right so so what we're doing is we're saying, we're not focusing on the relationship, we're focusing on the pattern of behaviors. Yes. And you can map and you can observe those pattern of behaviors for both people. Yes. Even in cases where there's cross allegations and there's a lot of stickiness, you're always gonna be able to come up with who ultimately has power and control.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you is map
0: it, the is it, is it just a resource? <laughs> Thing Ruth, do you think? Is it just that the courts don't have the resources, do you think? Or is it something more than that? Well, this this
1: problem of focusing on victim survivors and mandating to them, particularly when they're women, um, is global, number one. It's all over the world. Mm -hmm. It's in every family court system. It's the stance of most law enforcement, it is the stance of most child protection um, you know, institutions. And it's a fairly global attitude. Um, and you know again, i I really believe that if we don't look at the fact that these institutions came out of legal frameworks where we were property, yes, where, and where the division of families was looked at from an asset base, not from a rights base for children and for women, right? In essence, the children are are being divided like their property. It's like
0: cutting yeah. them down the middle,
1: right? Yeah. We're just gonna cut them right down the middle because <laughs> of their property. Um and 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 so and so it's it's really I feel like you know this is a social pro, pro- progress huge, problem
0: huge yeah. isn't it and we've just had the just seen the um, the gender social norm index you know uh, yeah, data yeah. from over 85% of the world's population showing that nine out of every 10 men and women are yeah. biased towards uh, against women yeah. so you know um how, i mean how do we turn this global super tanker around Ruth. <laughs> right. Well, we have to do it together. Gotta do it. Yeah, we have
1: to do it together. There's there's really no other way. You know, one of one of the things, the impacts of siloing is that you can't make change quickly. You you know, change is actually inhibited by having such siloed practices. Um you know, I find a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard in the world. There's a lot of real tough. There's a lot of people suffering um, because of these realities. I find a lot of hope in places like Scotland and mm-hmm. Australia. And I, I really see that there are people who want to have more holistic practice. mm mm-hmm. Want to have um, practices and policies which focus on the person who's causing the harm, and not mandating mm. victim survivors, and that actually does what they say that they're going to do. So, you know, if if the mission of the family courts has been stated to be protecting child well-being, how well are they doing at actually protecting child? best interest and in well-being mm-hmm. I don't think they say well-being they usually say best interest, interest well yeah. well-being well-being is in their best interest
0: well exactly exactly <laughs> yes. um so Ruth I wanted to ask you about your 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 healing journey and
1: yeah.
0: as you know because we've talked about it a lot already haven't we I am a huge fan of your art and I'm I <laughs> believe. Oh, it's absolutely amazing! And what we'll do is we will post some links under the podcast if that's okay yeah. with you. Yeah, totally. Because it's absolutely beautiful, and one of my real passions is developing the research and understanding around the power to heal through art and through mm-hmm. nature. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a bit about your journey with your art? <sighs>
1: <laughs> well, I would have to go back to when I was a kid. <laughs> so I was raised in a Catholic institutional setting. Um, and I grew up not in a nuclear family. Um, so I had a very large family of 55 people, but it was a very abusive environment. And I was kept from my, my family. Um, from knowledge of who my father was from my extended family which were Hispanic and Latino um and you know it was a it was a very difficult upbringing it was we slept in dormitories uh, we ate communally um we didn't have a lot of love and care <laughs> when you grow up in an institution and there's 25 people you know, 30 kids to care for um, you, you're institutionally raised. And I really felt a deep connection with nature. And actually, when I talked to my siblings, um, of which I I have technically 13 half brothers and sisters, but I only have connection with two of them. Um, when I talked to my siblings, it was nature that, that saved all of us. Um, it was actually the neglect aspect was life-saving, not being in contact with abusive adults and other abusive children, but being able to go out in nature and just be in nature. Um, and, and that was an extraordinarily protective and healing, um, reality for me. And, um, you know, I've always just felt a tremendous amount of gratitude um and love and connection for nature, because at some of my darkest moments, and there were some very, very dark moments, we were sexually abused. I have a lot of injuries from childhood from the abuse uh, that were never treated. You know, um, an infant died um while I was young um and we never received the proper care or counseling Mm -hmm. you know we were just in a very um Catholic institutional setting Mm -hmm. and um as we've all come to hear the stories of those institutional settings they're very violent to children and to women and so that connection with nature Uh, always sustained me. I didn't really think of myself as an artist. I loved to dance and sing. I had my own club. It was the Shirley Temple Hula Hoop Club of one, where I would hula hoop and tap dance at the same time. And one time I did it for a full hour straight, and I thought that I should be in the Guinness Book of World Records.
0: (laughs) Um <laughs> into this ruth. But maybe you maybe you should be. We've missed it. Have a hidden talent. <laughs> um,
1: but but you know, my idea of giving people gifts, also because we were just extraordinarily poor. We we at times didn't have electricity and running water, was I would do a song and a dance for them. Of course, the boys would mercilessly tease me when, but that was my my artistic expression of love for people but i didn't i didn't think that i could paint and draw and i i really wanted to and i felt so frustrated by it but i felt like i was such a horrible drawer like i couldn't i couldn't paint things that looked like what other people see right and um and when you're living in abuse and this is really i think really key when you're living in abuse, you're really afraid to make a mistake. I, oh yes, yeah. Because you get punished. You get punished. Oh, really,
0: <laughs> merciful. Yeah, it stifles
1: creativity, doesn't it? Right, right. <laughs> or teased horribly. Yeah. So I, I, I was afraid always of of making a mistake, and I couldn't, I couldn't, especially in that sort of visual art space. Mm but when i when i hit my my 40s my soft tissue injuries and the injuries from being shaken and yanked and you know restrained and crushed <laughs> um those just became so incredibly painful and debilitating because they had never been treated in childhood so you know, now they're horribly arthritic and calcified and there's lots of tears in that ligature and, and, and my structure is, is off because that all happened to me when I was developing. And, you know, for a long time, when you're young, you can just, you don't notice it, you know, yeah. you power through it. But by the time I hit like 45, I was like, actually just really going downhill fast with tremendous amounts of chronic pain and disability and, and bouts of not being able to even walk. Um, you know, I had to, I would have to stay in bed and work. And I started to do these medical treatments for those soft tissue in, ligature injuries. It's, you know, called PRP, platelet-rich plasma, because I'm not, you can't, you can't do surgery for arthritic soft tissue you have to use another strategy. So it inflames the tissue as if you're getting the injury again. So it slaps you back into that trauma state. And it's very,
0: very,
1: very intense for me, because I'm a, I'm a very, um, I'm a very sensitive person. (laughs) And so the tissue was was, you know, in a state, like I was shaken again, or I was yanked again, or, you know, had my, my, my ligature torn, it was inflamed. And I felt like my, my brain was on fire and I, I really couldn't use my body. And my mind was so inflamed by the inflammation. And I felt like I was going to explode. I felt like I would, I was going to explode if I couldn't express something about how I was feeling mm-hmm. about what was happening inside my body, if I couldn't create some some visual representation, and it's not necessarily the visual represent, representation you would ex- expect. It's not, my stuff isn't dark and scary normally. There are some things that I have painted that have some of that
0: yeah
1: because it's really me um going back to that healing space that I found as a as a child which was sitting in the mountains of California up near Yosemite National Park with the trees sitting with the trees sitting in nature being in nature that was a, a very healing space for me. So I tend to draw a lot of trees.
0: <laughs> but it's, I think, you know, Ruth, I feel like it's done in, it's such such a beautiful way. And when I look, I said to you, didn't I, before we started, when I see your art, it really speaks to me. And, and I think there is something in particular about trees. I think a lot of people, I mean, for goodness sake now you can pay people to go forest bathing you know which <laughs> yes. gee, come on you know yes. but yes. I understand the, the premise of it but you know we should we should all be out there in nature in my opinion we should all be yeah. out there. the the, tr- the trees are uh well I won't I won't get too uh too spiritual but to me you know well they're our lungs aren't they mother nature's lungs they're beautiful spiritual things and I'll 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 totally you know I don't call it spiritual I call it connection it is connection to the earth. it's absolutely and your paintings sorry Mm -hmm. to say folks Ruth is not selling them I've already asked <laughs> uh, she won't sell any but maybe they're my, ba- they're my babies they're my babies. <laughs> your babies <laughs> but I mean that's just fantastic so many people talk about the healing power of of music and art yeah. it's yeah. absolutely fantastic and um so you brought with you didn't you today we ask everyone uh we'll hear it at the end as as we did in our previous episode we ask everybody, to bring with them a song and something that means something to them. And I was over the moon when you sent me the cranberries (laughs) because the cranberries mean a great deal to me. And I was devastated when Dolores passed away. Um, And so tell us about the song you chose and and what what the cranberries mean to you, what this song means to you. Well, I, you know, because of the way I grew up
1: I really wasn't exposed to a lot of secular um, music we didn't go to concerts or stuff like that and and actually I've only been to a couple concerts in my life and and I'll name them all because it'll probably reveal something about my personality um, that cranberries would be one I saw them mm-hmm. at the University of Pittsburgh on their stage which means I was very close to Dolores mm-hmm. and um, and You're that was to
0: make me jealous now, aren't you? Rachel? Uh,
1: and that was in college so that was that was in college in the 90s so just yeah. to kind of age myself here um, and then the other one was the Gypsy Kings when I was yeah. living when I was living and working in Nicaragua they came to, to Nicaragua and at the, at the Ruben Dario Theater. Um, and then the other one is Andrew Bird, which I don't know if you know <laughs> Andrew Bird. I don't. I don't know who that is. So I think I have some, I'm Latina, first of all, so that the, the Gypsy Kings makes sense. Um, and the other side of my inherited dna which is not all of me because you don't inherit all your dna from your parents is that i'm very very scottish so i'm like scottish and latina together so it's like if somebody wanted to take fire and fire and add oh. fire <laughs> they did <Fantastic. laughs> but with with the with the, the, the my song um it's daffodil lament yes And it it really has a very special place. I don't know why I feel myself getting a little bit emotional. That's okay, Ruth.
0: We can get emotional.
1: (laughs) One of the things that I have really realized about art and culture is that for the longest time, men told all the stories. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And as women started telling the stories and singing the songs and making the art, the way the stories were told became different.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think a lot about the song, I Will Survive. How many people have listened to that song and gotten energy from it and what a beautiful blessing that is. That, did, you know that,
0: the, did you know that's the song that Sam chose for the Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: But how many women have listened
1: to that and men? And felt like it it buoyed their, yes. people. yeah, and lifted them up. Isn't that what we're supposed to do as humans for each other? Yeah, it is. You know, so I think of that as a person who's really blessed, who blesses other people too. And I really think of 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 Dolores that way as well. And so Daffodil's Lament, I really listened to when I was in a very deep and dark place um, in a very bad relationship, um, with somebody who was coercive. Um, and I was incredibly depressed Mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, had come from this horrible, disconnected, violent place where I was separated from my family members and they were kept from me and then experienced what most women do experience and that is a level of course of control and abuse when you start dating people when you're in your 20s in in college mm-hmm. and i really was just in a dark dark place when that song came out and i remember laying in my bed and not being able to to get out of my bed and listening to that song over and over again and really feeling both sides of the polarities of life that, yes, in the moment, I was really having a hard time. Mm-hmm. I was really in a bad place. Um, and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't have support because when you come from an institutional setting, you don't have family support. You have to figure it out on your own, which makes you more vulnerable. Um. And it brought my mind back to how life is beautiful and to look up, to look up and to look around, you know, and to really see what's around me (laughs) because I'm having this experience of suffering and it's a very human and common experience. Trauma is one of the most common experiences that we have and we share together but we don't talk about a lot but we do we share it and nature just keeps kind of going along and wow the daffodils are lovely and the trees are beautiful and this is also part of my human experience that if i can if i can let that in if i can remember that i'm supported by a whole network of ground and beings and earth and and humanity that that will help me to be able to get through that that we kind of slide around on those poles we experience different things in life but that it changes and that change can can lead us back in the direction of being connected to ourselves and the beauty of the world around us you know so so i feel like that song really brought me back to a place where I could not only feel the beauty of the world around me, even though I was suffering, but that I could feel my strength when she moves you know, from one um, rift to another. And she says, I have decided to leave you forever. I have decided to start things from here. And don't the daffodils look lovely today? And that I could feel that freedom. I could feel the freedom of of finally stepping into a place um, where I was going to let things be new again. And that was really beautiful. I feel like she she really was a blessing to so many people. Um, And she experienced a lot of abuse
0: she was a survivor wasn't she she was of some yes and it's really so moving to to hear you say this Ruth and I think you're not the first person uh, myself included actually who has talked about the way Dolores in particular brought something back to them and this again is something I've talked about in previously with with you and David actually about you know it's not just about um with surviving it's about thinking about what what's taken from you it's not just what's done to you it's what was taken from you and for Dolores and the Cranberries to bring something back that I mean that is so powerful isn't it so beautiful
1: right well that's 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 healing you know our abusers took something away from us whether it was our freedom whether it was our sense of ourselves by giving us narratives that were untrue and meant to demean and control us you know whether you were called lazy or stupid or um you know whatever whatever demeaning names were used um that our our integrity our 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 well-being our sense of ourselves and our ability to self-define and say hey no you know that's that's not who I am you can think that all you want but you cannot impose it on me was taken away from us so that ability to kind of step into our own space and say all of these things were done to me there is nothing I can do to change what somebody chose to do to me and my power and my awareness of beauty and my joy and my connection to myself and to the natural world and to other people cannot be dictated by what other people chose to do to me because that's me giving my power away and 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 healing is really understanding the power we have, really understanding that we have this tremendous power inside of us, whether or not we feel powerful or we're influential or not, that everybody on this earth has this dignity and this power inside of them, and that living that power joyfully with connection, with respect to other people's needs and boundaries, and respect to our own needs and boundaries, is actually incredibly powerful and it's incredibly healing and that's why i advocate for choices for survivors yes because those choices were taken away from us and it is a fundamental thing in our reclaiming of ourselves and the world that we get to make around us to be able to say i don't want that choice i want this choice That's why I'm so protective of Mm -hmm. self-determination for survivors, Um, which is, which is why the partnering piece is so important because a lot of people can consider themselves experts in our experience because of their academic studies or because Mm of the way they've been trained. It is so disrespectful um, to not ask us and talk to us. And gather the information from a, a perspective of this person isn't broken, they were harmed. <laughs> so reclaiming that power is is so important to me. And and it's so important to to make those choices for survivors so that they can self-determine, which is exactly what was removed from them exactly. while they were abused. Yeah.
0: Give it giving it's it's returning freedom to them isn't it yeah giving them their liberty back yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely oh ruth it's ah. um i was going to i really wanted to ask him about oh can we do it quick can we just quickly who if you you know imaginary dinner party guests who would be there
1: Oh, this is a hard one.
0: (laughs) That's too hard. This (laughs) is too
1: hard for the last Because first of all, first of all, I, I don't know a lot of like, I'm really bad with movie stars and pop culture and everybody else is going to be so, so if, if there was a party with guests, um, okay, this is going to be really weird. (laughs) Um, well, I would want my kids and my family there because i love them um you know right now i'm really on a kick where i'm i'm learning about my um the people i came from because i was kind of didn't have that knowledge um i would love for some of my ancestors to be there honestly i would love to ask them some questions and you know have a have a you know drink some drink some wine or you know (laughs) that's really what i would want yeah
0: that that is a beautiful answer ruth absolutely um thank you so much i'm so so grateful for you joining me today it's been an absolute pleasure oh yes and we are going to have you on our podcast
1: too which is partnered with the survivor podcast so
0: it's this a is. fabulous podcast, and we'll post a link to that as well underneath. Um, highly recommend it. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, and I really hope you'll come back and see us another time. Yeah, um, and I'll have
1: to make some more art so you'll have more to. Yes,
0: yes. and we're going to post links to it, as I say, not for sale at the moment, folks, but hopefully in the future. Ruth will well, pop- lots, lots of love to you. and you know, just
1: well, let's, let's all keep trying to focus on the same common goals and, and, and work to make this a better reality for us because we need it. We all need it.
0: Absolutely, I Thank am so, so happy. Well. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much, Ruth.